0: Hi, I'm your host, Tina Clark, and welcome to my Weirdest Experience podcast. This is the podcast of the weirdest experience that has ever happened to you and gives you a venue to fully express yourself and share your weirdest story with the world. This is the No Judgment Zone, a safe place to share your experience. It's also a place where we can discuss what happened to you and share some possible theories on what and why this happened. If you would like to be on the show, email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Today I have Alicia Lyons and she is a mom support coach and she's going to be sharing her story of surrogacy with us today. Hi, Alicia. Hi, Tina. Thanks for having me. Sure. I can't wait to hear your story. Absolutely.
1: Um, uh, So, I guess we'll go back, uh, 20 years to, um, when I I was 17 years old and a friend of mine said she wanted to be a mom, but she didn't want to go through childbirth. And at the time I wanted to experience pregnancy, but I didn't want to be a mom. And so I just said, well, I'll have a baby for you. (laughs) Um, before I even knew what the word surrogacy was, um, I was volunteering uh, to do it. Um, fast forward, you know, about 10 years later, I, I met a surrogate for the first time uh, while I was uh, a practicing massage therapist. And um, she, I, that poor girl, I picked her brain during her whole massage. I just needed to know everything uh, that there was to know about being a surrogate and I was so excited I was ready to do it and I went home and I told my husband that I wanted to be a surrogate and he said no that's disgusting and so I put the thoughts like behind in the back of my head um, and over the next couple of years um, probably about I think we were trying for at least a year and a half to get pregnant with my son. Um, and that was torture. Uh, I'm not a very patient person, <laughs> uh, when I want something, I, I definitely, I want it now. And, um, so to wait a year and a half was, was hard. Um, and around the time, uh, my son was about 14 months old. Uh, I split from his dad and uh, that was in May of that year. In June, I was talking to a surrogacy agency. Um, in July, uh, I was matched with the parents. In August, we started medication, uh, and by September, I was pregnant. And so um, that was my that was my first journey, um, and that couple had waited probably 20 years to be a parent and so just hearing their story um, I knew it was something that I needed to do as many times as as I could one of the things that surrogacy surrogates uh, often say is like you just you kind of get addicted to doing it Um, I knew I didn't want any more children of my own Um, and I had really easy pregnancies and my, my grandma had had seven or six pregnancies, seven babies. And I thought my body's built for this. I don't want any more. Um, so I might as well give that gift back to other women. And so I did it two more times after that, uh, once to a single mom And at the time, I was thinking, as a single mom, why would you choose this? But being a single mom often isn't a choice. Uh, And I think that when it is a choice, it's a lot easier of a choice to deal with than when it's something that's forced upon you. Uh, The last baby was, uh, her parents were from uh, the Philippines, and that was my first boy the other two were a girl or were girls and then we had that baby and i was i was done that pregnancy was a little bit harder uh it was it lasted the longest most of my pregnancies were about 38 weeks and this one went almost all the way up to 40 and i'll tell you that last 10 days was kind of torture and the whole time i was like i'm done i'm done i'm done i gave birth she asked probably a week later if I would have another one for her, and I said yes. <laughs> um, when the pandemic hit, I found out I was not pregnant. Probably three days into lockdown. So, seeing that there's surrogacy surrogates out there, that in the news right, right now, it's um, there's a surrogate that is caring for, her ba- for the baby that she gave birth to in May of last year, and they, she's been, because her parents, I believe, are from China, and they can't get here because of the travel ban, so that's a totally abnormal situation, probably will never happen again in our lifetime, but um, it, was, it was a good thing that I d- ended up not being pregnant. Um, she's not ready to move forward uh, yet, so uh, I've decided to match with another comp- couple, which is where I'm at in my journey now. Is waiting for another couple to to pick me and to move forward.
0: So, can you walk us through the process of being a surrogate? Like, how do you become one? What are the yeah. qualifications? How do you even
1: get started? So, uh, the first thing is find an agency, um, you know, if you're, there are certain states, which I find interesting, uh, Washington and um, Utah are, are two that I know off the top of my head that actually don't allow surrogacy, so um, I guess the first step would be to make sure that your state allows surrogacy, um, and uh, then contact an agency and see if you fit the requirement. So there is a body mass index uh, requirement. Usually it's 32 or under. Um, There's a number of births limit. So sometimes it's, you know, if you've given birth more than five times, I think that's uh, C-sections, but if you're not sure if you qualify, the best thing to do is to call and ask or go to an agency's website and look at the, at the qualifications um, instead of just assuming, oh, I'm, I'm too heavy or I've had too many babies or, you know, I had too much complications during pregnancy. Um, I was on bed rest on all four of my pregnancies, so um, it wasn't you know, it's not like you have to have a perfect pregnancy. Um, But there are some disqualifiers. I don't know all of them. I know that preeclampsia, I think, is one of them. Um, You need to be at least 21 years old and under 42. I think 42 is where they uh, cut it off. Um, You need to have at least uh, one child of your own um, that's in your custody, at least 50% of the time, unless you gave them up for adoption. Sometimes they will make that exception. Um, And those are all the requirements that I'm coming up with off the top of my head. Um, So to start, call an agency and get an interview and see if you qualify, and then they kind of walk you through um, the steps. And some agencies will let you pick your own family, pick your family. And then the family approves. Yes, I want you to. So it's kind of like uh, matchmaking for, for having babies. Um, but other agencies and all agencies I've worked with have all been the parent sees you. So you create a profile of, of things that you're willing to do things you're not willing to do. So things like, um, If you're not willing to carry triplets, you put that down. If you're not willing to carry twins, um, if you're not willing to have an abortion um, because of medical reasons or otherwise, then you put that down. Um, And then there's families that have those same types of of requirements. Um, And so once you fill out this profile, then parents get to look at the profile and then they say, okay, I want to interview you and We usually do a Skype interview. All of my parents have been um, international families. So it's all been via Skype uh, or with an interpreter because sometimes they don't speak English. I did meet one family ahead of time. The very first family I met them while they were here doing their, um, I believe that he was using his sperm and they used a donor egg. And so while he was making his donation, Uh, I got to meet them. Once you're matched um, with a family, then you usually start the contracts. There's a contract that says pretty much everything that you're required to do and all of the rights that you have in the situation. So um, some parents will want you to eat organic. uh, And if that's a thing, they'll usually either pay for or split your food bill because unless you normally eat organic, <laughs> um, that's an extra expense for you. Um, you get to decide if you want the family in the room while you give birth uh, or not. And um, it'll the contract will lay out your compensation as well. Uh, it'll explain your your pay schedule and every Every agency is a little bit different, but typically you have a base pay and whatever the base pay is, they take that number and they divide it by 10 Um, because pregnancy is um, 10 months, Then, but you don't really start getting a compensation until you're approximately two or three months in. Uh, you'll get a larger sum at the end, whatever you give birth at the seven month mark. Then you'll get, you know, compensation for eight, nine, and ten at you know usually a month or so postpartum. Um, I get asked about uh, breastfeeding quite a bit, and I've I've opted to breastfeed each time, um, but through pumping. Um, And I know some surrogates that will do direct breastfeeding, and that was not something that I was willing uh, to do, because that was something that I felt was just special between my son and I, a bond that he and I got to share. And so that was uh, one thing, but I was willing to pump. I didn't, I, because I think that breast milk is good for babies, and so I wanted to provide it. It's also good for my body to, to have, um, to do the breastfeeding, so.
0: Okay. Did I answer all your questions? <laughs> you said that some moms opt to directly breastfeed the babies. Uh-huh. Yeah. How do they do that? Like, are they living with the parents or
1: the one friend that I that I know of? Um, her, she owns a home. She has uh, extra room in her home, but I don't know. Sometimes, so the family has to stay approximately a month, um, after the baby's born to get all the paperwork. Cause if they're international, um, so they need a passport for the baby and, and all the, all the paperwork usually takes about a month. So the couple is living here, usually in a hotel, um, and, so in that situation, I think this might've even been her second journey with that family. Um, I don't recall all her details, but uh, she, I, I believe they were staying in her home with her. And so she, she was on maternity leave um, for giving birth. And so she uh, was breastfeeding um, while they were li- staying with her.
0: And during the pregnancy, like how involved are the parents? How often do you see them? Are they constantly asking you questions? Are you supposed to report in like every week what's going on or how involved is it?
1: Uh, it's just like um, every parent is different. Uh, every couple is a little bit different. The first couple, they, um I emailed them once a month, just kind of an update, what was going on. And that was uh, sufficient for them. Um, I think that this, the single mom, she was similar. Um, and the, but the last mom, she was very, she was very high maintenance. Um, I, you know, I loved her to death, but she also got on my nerves too. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but we texted very, very frequently. And she really only got on my nerves in that last trimester because uh, I had told her that I, I usually go into labor around 38 weeks. So she showed up in the United States at 36 weeks. So from 36 weeks to 39, she had nothing to do. And so it was like every day she would ask me, uh, how are you feeling? Do you think it's going to happen today? Do you think it's going to happen this week? Do you think, like, when do you think it's going to happen? Like, I have no idea.
0: I <laughs> mm-hmm. can't um, predict these things.
1: Yeah. And so, and then she wanted to be on the, the call with the doctor and, or at my, um, she didn't physically go to my doctor appointment, even though she was in town, but she wanted to be on the phone with them. Um And even ask the doctor, when's she going to have the baby? (laughs) It's like, we don't have a crystal ball as much as you want one. No. What do you go
0: through emotionally and physically as a surrogate?
1: My philosophy on it all, uh, one of the biggest objections that I hear from people about doing surrogacy is I would get attached to the baby. And I've always thought of the baby as um you know it's it's my oven I'm the oven and it's their cookie dough and so you know you, you can you can carry a baby without feeling like it's yours um and so that's that's really how I would went through each of the journeys um Postpartum the first time was a a little different because the parents, uh, had, they owed money to, they owed me money at the end. Their trust account was empty. Uh, and so that, that three months that I mentioned earlier was not there. And so when I gave birth her the contract I'm supposed to have an hour with the baby to say goodbye that's just me and and him or her um and so after I gave birth and I was medically cleared I didn't stay in the hospital with the baby because I assumed that the parents would call me and fulfill that part of the contract and um I was anxious to get home to my son so I left the hospital and then I never heard from the family. And to this day, I don't know what the baby's name is or, you know, how she's doing, how they're doing. I, I know nothing post her birthday and her weight and height at the time, you know, and that was difficult to, to process just because I had a different expectation, um, so I had a, I had more of a guard up the second time and it was two weeks postpartum until I got to see the second baby. Um, but you know, mom fulfilled her end of the contract and let me have an hour with the baby and just, um, and I was, I was good because I, you know, I didn't, I didn't want any more children. Um, so it was kind of, it's kind of fun to hold the baby, but it was, um, it wasn't, I don't know how to describe it. It wasn't like, like I would have been fine if I, if that didn't happen. So uh, is
0: that part of your contract to see the baby afterwards, like two weeks afterwards or? Is
1: it-, um, it, it doesn't specify when, but there is supposed to be an hour where the baby, where the surrogate mom gets to say goodbye to the baby for at least an hour um that is part of that's a standard part of contracts okay um and it was two weeks postpartum because the the baby was jaundiced so she was you know kind of in and out of the hospital and um wanting to make sure that baby was totally fine and uh then I got to see her
0: so after you give birth they take the baby away and you might not see the baby for weeks
1: yeah that was that was different each time too which I found interesting because the first time I really felt like the hospital was treating the baby like mine because the parents weren't there Mm -hmm. and I I swear I remember feeling like can someone take the baby from me you know (laughs) and um you know, I gave her her bottle, her very first bottle, and so I guess I did get my my hour goodbye. I was just expecting more time. Now that I think about it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but she, I gave her her first bottle and she fell asleep, and that was my favorite thing that my son used to do was fall asleep when uh, when he ate, and so I kind of got that emotional tug, and I was like, okay, can somebody take the baby now? Yeah. <laughs> you know and uh that was the first time and then the second time they they might have shown her to me and then they took her out of the room and I didn't see her till 2 weeks later and I was like really and my like my stepmom was had been in the room with me um for labor and she got to take pictures of the baby while um while they were cleaning it cleaning her off and everything um and Uh, The third time, even though the mom wasn't super strict, she would have been fine with me holding him. Uh, They still took, took the baby away. So I think the, the, the hospital really changed its policy in between my first and second baby Mm -hmm. birth at all the same hospital, all three times.
0: So you, you carry their baby and it's the parent's egg and sperm,
1: right? It's always usually unless they use a donor egg.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And then, like, when you're apart from the baby, you don't feel any kind of pull, or what are you thinking about
1: after you give birth? <laughs> uh, honestly, I'm thinking about getting home to my son. Uh huh. That's that's always that's what I always kind of loved about the postpartum feeling like when you give birth in general, your body is just flooded with these hormones of like must love baby, right? (laughs) Right. And so I always described it as like, I felt like mother earth at that, in those moments. Yeah. I would just direct all that love to my son. And I remember, you know, the first time, he was, um, he was nonverbal for a while in his life until he was probably two um, or after. And it was hard for me to understand what he wanted. And uh, right, like, the day after giving birth, and we were, you know, just cuddling in bed. And I, I knew exactly what he wanted, without him being able to communicate it to me. So it just to me, it was so such a cool experience. That, you know, I, I just, I just focused on what was mine and I focused on my love for him and I didn't feel like I was missing out on a new baby. Um, so that emotional connection, I really just put up, you know, in a lot of ways, I put up a wall of, of my protection because you don't know what's going to happen postpartum. Um, you don't know if you're going to have a relationship with the baby or not. And this last baby, I, I see pictures of him probably monthly. She'll send me, um, you know, when I, when I get to meet him again, I'll be aunt Alicia to him and, and that's fun too. So it's just, it's, to me, it's just a different experience. So how old's your son now? My son is Nine. And does he
0: know that you've been a surrogate and have you talked to him about it?
1: He does. Um, it was the first two times he was too young. He wouldn't have understood the concept of what was going on. Uh, but the last time he, he was like, mom, you look pregnant. <laughs> when I was a couple months in, I was like, how, how, okay, I guess, you know. Um, so I explained it to him. Like I was babysitting a baby in my belly because his mom, the baby's mom, couldn't um, couldn't carry the baby, and so uh, I explained it to him the same way that I kind of think of it. Um, I use the word babysitting because most children understand the concept of a babysitter, mm-hmm. where you go somewhere, they take care of you, and then you they you go back home um and it's funny because he he does think that i chose to keep him and i decided to give away the other 3 <laughs> Aww. Uh, he said that last night um and he said well i technically have you uh, he he said something like i'm i'm he's my only child and he goes well she's got three others but i'm the only one she kept <laughs>
0: Does he understand how the belly got in your, I mean, the baby got in your belly? Have you Um, had to explain that?
1: Yeah, kind of to the extent that a nine-year-old can understand it. You know, uh, mommy has eggs, daddies have sperm, and together they make a baby. And then the doctor puts those two together and puts them in me. So Mm -hmm. not too graphic of, of an explanation, but yeah.
0: So what does your family and your friends think about your surrogacy, you know, experience? Have they been supportive? Have they been critical? You know, what's been
1: the reaction? I've had, um, I was blessed with really supportive uh, family. I was nervous because um, my dad's a pastor and, and I think that my dad often doesn't have an opinion until the church has an opinion mm-hmm. <laughs> on something like that. Um, but the the church was really supportive. The his church members were really supportive of it too, and so uh, then it became something that he would kind of brag about that I was doing. Um, so he was really supportive. My stepmom was in the room twice uh, with me. Um, my mom is uh supportive of what i'm doing she's she would like me to stop now <laughs> mm-hmm. she's uh she's afraid of of complications and um i'm like your mom had 7 kids i'll be fine <laughs> so yeah overall um people are really supportive they're very curious they're yeah. very curious about about it um I've, con- I've gotten a handful of friends to do it with me. So, um, yeah.
0: Why do you think one of the qualifications is to have one child of your own? Is that to prove that you can
1: carry to term or? I believe that's one of the reasons, um, to prove that you can have a safe pregnancy. Um, cause they don't, they don't want any woman to have complications, you know? Um, and I think that part of it is they want to make sure that you aren't going to want to try to keep the baby. Like that's one of the prevention mecha- uh, ways that they prevent it, right? Um, you have to, you do a psych eval to make sure you know, your head's in the right place, your heart's in the right place, and, um, you know, they want to, There, I'm, I'm sure there have been in the past uh, surrogates who have wanted to keep the baby, and there's been a, bat- a court battle, and I would imagine the surrogate loses, um, but, you know, theoretically, a surrogate could refuse to sign the adoption papers and keep the baby. It doesn't happen very often, Mm -hmm. but it could. And the state recognizes the birth mother, which would be the surrogate. So it's, you know, like like I said, it's not something that happens very often. It is a concern, like it is something that pops into people's head. It's a question that I get asked a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't you want to keep the baby? Me no. <laughs> I'm good with my one. <laughs> I think that's
0: why they take the baby right afterwards. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's to part pre- of it.
0: prevent that that bonding and that attachment. Yeah,
1: yeah, which is kind of a disservice for the baby, I think. But um, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's critical bonding time mm-hmm. in that in those first moments. But um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't bother me so much that they do that except that I didn't know that they were going to do that. Yeah. As long I'm good, as long as I manage my expectations of things, you know? Right.
0: Right. Exactly. (laughs) Expectations is everything.
1: It really is. So you
0: did mention one family's giving you updates every month. How about the other families? Are you in communication with them?
1: That the first family, because they owed money, no matter how much the agency tried to explain that approximately $120,000 does not mean exactly $120,000. Um, he just couldn't get that concept in his head. And so he was like, well, I paid my 120,000, so I'm good. Um, so I believe that that's why I never heard from them again. Um, That's a rare thing that has, that happens. It, it has happened, but it doesn't happen as much anymore. Agencies are really a lot more strict about how much money goes into the trust. They need to, you know, they probably, if, if the base is going to be $120,000 that covers the surrogacy fee and it covers the egg donation. If they that's required, it covers the doctor's fees, medication, um, Uh, insurance, uh, stuff like that. And so then they'll over, they'll, they'll add, they'll tack $50,000 on top of it to cover that expenses. Mm -hmm. uh, Something like that. I don't know all the details of, of that, but now they're doing different things, especially that agency. It was kind of burned me once. (laughs) Shame Mm -hmm. on you. (laughs) Um,
0: So you mentioned the compensation. I had a -hmm. question about how, you know how much you're compensated
1: for it. it it's different. It's different each time. Um, the The agency I went through the first two times had a different uh, pay scale, so I'll just I'll modify based on what the current agency pays. Because the the first time was approximately $40,000 was what I was paid with. Um, uh, all the, the base pay, the, um, they broke it down for, you know, I got $800 for um, maternity clothes and I'm trying to think of all the other things that, that were kind of like little bonuses here and there. Um, so it probably added up to about $40,000. Uh, the next time was close to 45. And then I switched agencies, um, and then it was, um, $60,000, um, uh, from with them. It goes up just because when you're a proven surrogate, it's, it's proven that, you know, you're, you've had good pregnancies, you can get pregnant through IVF and, uh, you return the baby. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. no conditions, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, what happens if a surrogate loses the baby or the baby doesn't make
1: it? Um, the, whatever compensation that you're owed up until that point, you'll get. Um, but if you don't complete the pregnancy, then you don't get you wouldn't get the full amount. There's no penalty for the surrogate for miscarriages. Miscarriages happen. I don't, I never had a miscarriage. I don't know any surrogates off the top of my head that have, I know it has happened. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, I just don't know any personally. And, you know, I have, but I've, I've had embryo transfers that didn't attach. So that probably feels like a like a, a miscarriage to the to the parents. I'm not sure if it's the same for them. But I've never I've never had a miscarriage. So
0: knock on wood. <laughs> <laughs> so are you gonna do it again? Or is that's, this it? No,
1: that's the plan. That's the plan. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I, I've been joking lately. I'm going to keep doing it until they tell me I have to stop. <laughs> what, do you,
0: what, what do you enjoy the most about being a surrogate?
1: Um, I really like being pregnant. Um, I've always, I always liked being pregnant. I had really easy pregnancies. Uh, the last one was a little harder because of my expectation of giving birth at 38 weeks. <laughs> hmm Having to go an extra ten days, Um, so I really I do like the the pregnancy, and I I go back to how I felt waiting for a baby, and just wishing and hoping and praying and and crying over every period, you know, and just I just imagine that for someone for a decade yeah it's it's like how can I stop if I'm medically sound why would I stop um yeah
0: so what have you learned from your surrogate experiences what are what is your greatest lesson or lessons that you come away from it
1: Hmm. I've learned a lot about myself um Uh, After, after having each baby, including my own son, uh, I really feel like my body missed being pregnant. And my way of dealing with that for my first three pregnancies was um, my I would start craving something like with my son I craved these Twizzler pull and peels, and I would eat a package of the large like the extra, the king size a day, which is about 2000 calories. Looking back at it, it's like, wow. Um, I was, I, I obsessively ate popsicles the next time and cheese the time after that. And so after, during my fourth pregnancy, I was like, you know what, I need to figure this part out about myself. Like what I, ha- I don't, cause then I would, I would lose weight during my pregnancies. Um, and then I would gain it back and then some, and I wanted to stop that cycle. So that was, it's maybe that's a superficial lesson, but, you know, really learning about the, the difference between, you know, kind of body, mind, and soul. Like my mind was fine, but my body was like, I'm kind of missing, missing that, that 24 hour baby love, you know, Mm -hmm. um, so I, I feel like that was that was a pretty big lesson. Um, learning to manage expectations is was also a pretty big one. Learning that that was even a thing. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So what did you learn about the cravings that just to be more aware of this craving is occurring because I'm missing something emotionally
1: or yeah it was it was it wasn't until after the third time that I realized that that I was having these cravings so I wasn't very self-aware uh previously but in this with the fourth time it was like okay I'm gonna do this preemptive strike (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and I just thought it was weird that I had cravings you know, before, before the third time. And I, I picked up on the pattern after the third time. Um, but you know, I think that, um, that I was, that I was missing something. So this was during the pregnancy or after you gave birth? It was each, it was after birth each time. Yeah. Okay. And even though I had my son, you know I think my body still missed having having that the having him inside and you know there is it is just 24 hours of of baby love and you know I think that that's part of part of what I was missing was that that love because I, I didn't always love myself um and so but I I I I went through some transitions in my life and, um, be, I actually became a life coach during my third, during my third surrogacy and I learned about self-love and, um, and I think that that had such a huge, a huge difference made a, such a huge difference in the postpartum. Um, yeah, we actually did this exercise at, at, my, um, at this training that I did for Life Coaching where we became our inner head talk and we had to pretend that this person sitting in this chair in front of us was us and that we were our head talk. And so we had to say out loud all these things that we say to ourselves internally, but we never say them out loud. We don't shine a light on all this negative head talk. And I did it while I was pregnant and I was a little bit terrified of it affecting the baby in a negative way. Mm -hmm. And there was a lady in the room that was, you know, kind of a spiritual guide or guidance type person and you know, she put her hand on, on my stomach afterwards and, and she said, Oh, he loves you so much. And he is loving this experience. And it was, it was kind of, it was cool. I don't know how much I believe in it, but it's still kind of cool to hear someone say that, you know? So the
0: exercise was you had to sit with someone else and basically say out loud the thoughts that
1: had been running
0: through your head lately.
1: Yeah. So like if you were sitting in a chair across from me, you would be me and I would be my head talk. And so I would say to you all of the things that I say to myself and it's just really shining a light on the, the head talk and we went through the six layers of emotion um anger being the top and i always forget what the six layers of emotions are but um uh regret regret is one of them uh love and desire are the are the last two um and so you first we did the anger part mm-hmm. you know what am i angry at myself for i'm angry at myself for you know, not achieving this goal and not being this type of person. I'm, you know, all those things that, that you're angry at yourself for. And, and then the next emotion, you know, I'm, I have, I wish I remembered all the emotions.
0: <laughs> I get it. it. It sounds like it could be very transformative.
1: Oh, gosh. I went from, please don't hug me. I don't want to be hugged. To hug being open to hugs and wanting to hug everybody and, and craving hugs. It was it was such an interesting transformation for me. And probably the first big transformation that I had inside of coaching.
0: It was like you were turned you turned away from love and you became more open to receiving.-hmm Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about being a mom support coach. What do you do and who do you, who are you helping?
1: Um, in, in uh, 2019, I was the guinea pig <laughs> in front of the coaching room of, you know, someone who had guilt that they wanted to get rid of. And I was, uh, feeling guilty over a situation that, uh, where I felt like my, I didn't protect my son and, and I didn't, you know, I did all the things that I felt like I was supposed to do to take care of him, but I, I never thought about how it emotionally was affecting me. And. So my, my coach walked me through this, um, eliminating guilt and shame exercise. And it felt like 500 pounds had been lifted off my shoulders. Mm -hmm. Uh, I started to notice a different relationship with my son. I realized I had been pushing him away, um, because I was protecting myself from future pain, that he would resent me for not protecting him. Um, And I started interviewing moms because I I knew I wanted to work with moms. I didn't know much beyond that. I just started interviewing them and, and asking them questions. And I started listening to their language and I just was hearing guilt everywhere. And... Uh, because my comfort level at the time was in my writing. Um, I wrote a book um, that's called Good Moms Don't, and it's all the lies uh, that moms believe about what they should and shouldn't do, um, and how to overcome, and how that creates guilt, and how to overcome the guilt, and so I I've branched out a little bit beyond guilt. I, I help moms, um, not only with that, but with, um, with self-love, um, with relationships, uh, with their current significant other, and sometimes with the father of their children. Um, I have a little experience with, with healing that relationship. Um, and you know, just the things that moms struggle with and, um, Moms don't get heard as much as, as we need, and we don't get acknowledged, and we're not seen. And so that's what I do. I see you, I acknowledge you, and I listen to you.
0: That sounds amazing. I wish I had a mom support coach. <laughs> Where were you when I had my kids? <laughs> So how can people I, find you if they're looking, interested in working with you?
1: Um, my website is Um I, I, My first name is spelled A-L-Y-S-I-A and lions, L-Y-O-N-S.com. And I have a link to work with me on there. Um, and I do free consultations for just to make sure that we're a good fit and that I, that I can help you. Um And, uh, yeah, every, I, I, I think the, every mom needs a a little bit of support and we don't always get it from the people in our life. And so you're important. Your needs are important. And, um, I'm here if you need me. Great. So thank you so much, Alicia,
0: for being on the show. I really appreciate you sharing your story and it was really interesting. I learned a lot. I didn't know much about surrogacy. So um, what an amazing service you're providing to families.
1: Thank you. I, I enjoyed being on your
0: show. <laughs> so I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in today. If you have a weird experience to share, please email me at contactstargazingangel@gmail.com. at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing about your weirdest experience.